Hello and welcome to Conversations with a Vicar, the podcast where you get to ask a church leader everything you've always wanted to know about God, faith and how church could be relevant in the 21st century. Nothing's off limits, so we'll be talking about everything from the everyday to the extraordinary. Expect to laugh, learn and look at Christianity in a new light. This is Conversations with a Vicar. This is Conversations with a Vicar as the intro stated. Uh, I'm the host, my name is James Crawley, I am a comedian, a dad, a husband, an author, a comedy teacher, actor, improviser and a Christian man with several friends who are vicars. One of those vicars is sitting across from me, his name is Alex Raymond, he is a, a vicar, a husband, a dad, a musician, a podcaster, a board gamer and a bald man by choice. <laughs> Uh, how are you, Alex? Very well. What a lovely intro. Can you write my gravestone when I die? Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, if, like, if I outlive you, let's. Yeah. Does your would you does your profession enter into that equation? Like, uh, what do you mean? Does it mean you will live longer than me? <laughs> no, not necessarily. Depends. Not really. I've, you lived in London as well, which is probably bad I think for your I've lungs. put myself in. More precarious situations than you. You live quite a chilled existence, don't you? I, I worry about what comedy has done for my like stress you, levels. You definitely um, grew grey hairs when you started comedy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's quite a refined look. Uh, he's bald, I'm grey. There you go, that's the intro. Um, so I came up with this idea for a podcast which is asking you questions that people might want to ask. And it's because after we'd known one another maybe a year, you said to me that when we first met, I quizzed you every time. It was like I'd discovered a real-life Pokemon. Um, and I remember actually asking you a lot of questions, because it's my nature. And I thought it would be nice for other people to have a chance to quiz a vicar. Um, and then they can, because they may not know a vicar to ask, but here he is. Uh, or they may feel silly asking the questions. You don't have to feel silly, you can ask anonymously. Uh, or they just maybe don't want to say the things that they've sent in face-to-face to another human being. <laughs> um, so uh, anonymously, people have emailed in, people who I know to start with, but going forward, I'd like anyone to feel they can send a question for me to ask Alex. Um, some of them were pretty heavy. This is the pilot episode, so we're keeping it pretty light um, to start with. Okay, Alex? I'm nervous and excited in equal measure. I can see it in you that you I feel like... Nervous. You know that scene in Gladiator where Max, Maximus, Morelius, Doremius, father to murder son, husband to murder wife, looks round and sees a guy weeing himself. Yeah, I remember. I'm that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm Maximus. Um, no, I, you're more like no. Julius Caesar. Oh, wow. Uh, thanks very much. Um, question, first question for you. Go on. Why, why are you a vicar? Oh, great. Easy question to start with. I'm a vicar because um, I I didn't grow up going to church. I um, became a Christian later on in life when I was a teenager. And um, from, from having a zero church background to then suddenly, almost a bit like walking through a wardrobe in Narnia, um, I, I was kind of opened... I felt completely... Like I'd opened myself up to this world that existed beforehand, um, which kind of might be defined as faith or belief 
or um, kind of a trust in in God and more explicitly the person of Jesus Christ. And um, and so always in my life, I've always tried to um, I've tried to help other people to explore that. And that started off as being a youth worker, and then just as I got older and less cool and hip, that kind of evolved into being a vicar too. Um, but always to me, the, the thing has been less about dog collars and cups of tea, although I do like a cup of Yorkshire gold, um, uh, but more about... Other, other brands of tea are available. Well, they are available, but they're lesser beings, um, like ontologically as well as materially. Um, but yeah, I want to see people um, explore faith in whatever way and in the most appropriate way for them and in a no-holds-barred environment. So I became a vicar to try and eventually lead a church that has an openness to people who have no faith whatsoever rather than saying, this is what Christianity looks like, let's reciprocate that or repeat that, but rather let's explore what it means to be Christian community in a way that would be accessible to your next door neighbour, your postman, your best mate who doesn't know Jesus. Um, yeah, so that's why I'm a vicar. That's a good answer from a, from a tiny little open question. Um, <laughs> obviously the people who have emailed in don't know anything about you uh, other than that you're a vicar and they'll, they'll get to know you more I suppose as they listen in. Um, I, I'm interested in why you're a vicar leading on from youth work. Is that like the only path you could take from youth work? Like, well, there's, there's you a get few. To, you there's get to an age where you can't keep up with a teenager. <laughs> um, Can you imagine me on TikTok? That's the question. Yeah. And so, no, no, not at all. I mean, I've got lots of friends who are youth workers forever. The, thi- the reason why I, um, I made the sideward step to being a vicar is because I thought these principles that we exercise with young people, such as honesty, vulnerability, letting them ask all kinds of questions letting them see into your life as a youth pastor as well, that should be the model also for vicars. But often that isn't the case. You kind of become a vicar and life gets very serious very quickly and you become a title holder and a person in the community and then this kind of figure rather than still applying those kind of youth work principles. So I've always kind of felt that it's a sideward step to apply what I learned as a youth pastor into overall church leadership, I think. You're just staring at me. No, so, no. I'm just listening. <laughs> You've got beautiful to you. eyes, though. It's Thank quite, you. It's quite a nice thing to be stared at, um, are you? I'm just listening to you and enjoying your answers. <laughs> um, uh, move on to the next uh, crowdsource question. Why are vicars called vicars? This is a great question. I'm so glad you asked. The word vicar comes from the word vicarious, and the word vicarious means you stand in place of someone else. So if you send your boy to the post office to pick up something you wouldn't now because you're from the 1950s yes. um, but, but say you did um, that you'd be sending someone vicariously in your place and so the idea of vicars is that they stand in the place of two figures really in the place of Jesus as they administer the Holy Communion they're doing something that Jesus did he shared bread and wine so they're standing in the place of Jesus in there a bit of church theatrics if you will um, but also they stand in the place of a community before God so they kind of resemble the community that they serve and say you know what even when you don't have the time to pray because you, you live a far busier life than I do I will pray on your behalf if you don't have the time to read scripture or to 
do whatever, I'll do that on your behalf as a vicar. I'll stand for the community and try and serve God on your behalf. That's why the term vicar. That was good. That was quite textbook. It was. I've never been asked that question before. I knew it because I love words. So like, I've known it. I've been holding on to that. No one's ever asked. I've just been waiting for that dinner party situation. But now it happened. Well, you're welcome. So thank you. Um, I looked it up beforehand because I was like... Was I right? Yeah. I was right. I bet it's from Latin because, you know, of course it would be. Yeah, Um, like like Hogwarts and the Church of England, though, most of their terminology comes from Latin. Yeah. Uh, And that was very nice to hear you uh, express it. Um, Next next question. What is the bare-bones definition of Christianity that one would have to subscribe to to be a Christian? Mm. Hmm. Um, I would, I would say, it um, it falls and rests on a belief that Jesus of Nazareth is who he says he is, so that Jesus is the Son of God, that he raised from the dead, so that you and I could be free. I'd say that's the bare bones, like the most. The smallest, so it's not necessarily belief in a higher power. We can all do that. Most religions in the world do that. Um, it's you know, it's not about um, belief in God, but like either a um, a God who is either angry sitting on a throne or kind of love. It's not about that. Loads of different religions do that. The USP of Christianity is the fundamental belief and trust in who Jesus is. And who he's, you know, like Eminem says, that whoever <laughs> he is, who he says he is, um, and that's <laughs> what a link that um, is. <laughs> um, and um, and that's it. That's it. And all the other stuff. So is stuff. Leading on from this. Yeah, go on, go on. You don't have to go to church. To be... Like I, so, I'd say not to to be a Christian. No, I would say that because you're a Christian, you do. So a bit like you being a father. There are things that are optional things. So genetically, you are a father, right? So genetically, yeah. you've fathered two infants. Now, that is a given. So that's like the belief in Jesus, just a given. That's the thing that makes you a father. But then there are lots of optional things that you have to choose to do out of your love for your children. So out of your love for Jesus, you decide to go to church because faith is found in community. And, and we are able to explore love and sacrifice in a community. We're able to grieve together and rejoice together in community you can't do that in abstract on your own in isolation and um and so that's why we do church that's why we sing that's why we read the bible even um but none of those things are tickets to heaven or none of those things are tickets to the jesus club um being a christian is solely about exploring the things that jesus says he is and saying yeah i believe that when did you first get your tickets to the jesus club (laughs) <laughs> um, so I would say that like I became a Christian when I was 16 so I, I had no church upbringing at all um, and uh, I was from a background that didn't go to church at all you know there was a lot of chaos in my upbringing and there was a lot of like stuff that went on that would probably push people further away from church than towards it um, my only frame of reference for theology, or Christian belief before going to church, was Sister Act 1 and 2, of which are great movies, and I learned a lot about Christianity through Sister Mary Clarence and, um, and her sons. But um, I went to church because 
I was in a pub with my older brother and a guy came in selling illegal DVDs and I bought The Passion of the Christ off him for a fiver, watched it and was compelled. What other DVDs was he selling? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what other ones. As, in terms of like, to use another film reference, a sliding doors moment. Yeah. If you'd bought Yes Man, <laughs> you could have just been saying yes to stuff this whole time. Yeah. Could have been. Where would you I be mean, now? I'm not that susceptible, I don't think. I don't think it was a like, oh, if I watch a film about a serial killer, I suddenly go down that. Oh my gosh. Like, Amer- American Psycho. Or if it was Frozen, I become a Norwegian princess. I don't know. But um, I watched Passion of the Christ and it was the first time that I had seen an image of Jesus that looked remotely human and remotely like the the stuff experienced on the cross was actually physical Mm. and on behalf of his friends. And also I remember watching it and thinking the disciples don't look all that holy, therefore there can't be that high a bar to enter into this. Because I think think growing up um, there, there must have been like some idea I had of Jesus. You're saying the Jesus Club is like tolerant of lots of members. That's the thing. There's tolerant. A, there's yeah. no entry exam. No entry exam. <laughs> Very low, low bar. Like the lowest, the lowest bar. Um, and so, and so that week, just by coincidence, um, a friend at school invited me to a gig that wasn't a Christian gig, but it happened to be in a hall that also did church the next day in the same location. And at that gig, I met a load of other people that also went to that church the next day. And they were all very lovely, very friendly, very sweet. And I was this bit of rough, young lad, drunk a bit too much, smoked things he shouldn't be smoking. And, in um, the church? No, no, outside the church, in the car park. I didn't bring it in. I'm not, I'm not a vagabond. Well, it depends if it's um, pre-smoking, man. Uh, it wasn't a venue that you could smoke. It was, it was a youth like gig. The only thing that's allowed to smoke in a church is... Frankincense. <laughs> Frankincense. Um. And the incense, yeah, I can smoke all at once. Um, but yeah, and so that, the next day, I went to church, but I was so nervous that first I went to church, that I got really, really, really drunk, and just stood at the back and swayed. Pre-drinks. Kind of, would I? Before communion. Yeah, before, before, <laughs> before the 4.30 service. Um, <laughs> um, but um, for whatever reason, I then started what, exploring faith. What were you drinking? Oh, it would have been Stella. Lad. Uh, <laughs> it, would have, it just would have been. It was just like that thing. But yeah, I, um, yeah, I then started exploring Christianity and was taken out for breakfast every now and then by different people from the church. And I would have people that I could ask my questions to. And um, a couple of months later, I decided, yeah, I'll give this a shout. And so prayed one of those really scary prayers. It was like, okay, God, if you're real... I think I'm going to give it a go. Um, and I think that was my intro into the Jesus Club. Nice. Um, <laughs> to one. go back to the question. Um, another question written in. That was just, the Jesus Club was my aside. No, I love it. I mentioned it. I love felt like I had to uh, <laughs> explore. Um, why don't all vicars have to wear the, nu- the, the white neckwear? Why don't they have to? Or yeah, why why don't do? The question says, why don't they? Why don't all vicars have to wear? Why or? don't they have to wear? Um, so interesting bit of church politics. You want to hear, you wanna hear yeah, this? Yeah, I do. You, yeah, you like, is this where we're going? Yes. So only up until like last year, um, Church of England, which has a lot of laws, they only, I think it was last year or the year before, 
But they changed the law basically saying that vicars are up to doing that one. Before then, people who weren't were kind of breaking church law, but but it's unenforceable. So it's it's a funny law. It's almost like coronavirus guidelines, right? <laughs> so like totally impossible to enforce. Um, stay stay safe. Um, stay safe, guys, and uh, rule of six. And we are at least a meter apart, which is yeah. a shame because I want to stroke your face. Um, but um, Got so quickly, so up until this point, vicars can just choose what they wore, all that stuff. There are certain occasions where you probably should wear what is a is required of you. So such as if you're invited to the cathedral for a special service, probably be a bit disrespectful if you just rocked up in your jeans and t-shirt. Mm. Um, however, do you want to know personally what I what I do and why I do it? Yeah, is that part of the question as well? I'm, I'm carrying on with yes. Okay, cool. So I don't. I'm not. I'm not wearing. He's not wearing a collar right now. Not wearing a dog collar or a clerical collar. Um, and so where it comes from? Do you want a bit of that? Yeah. So it's a white collar. White is was the traditional kind of color of like holiness and like purity. Comes from Psalms that say like wash me whiter than snow and that kind of thing. And so the idea is that as you put on the dog collar, it kind of purifies your voice. So as you speak, the things that come out of your neck, those sounds should be holy and Jesus-like. So that when people encounter a vicar, that's what they should be experiencing. Now, obviously, we all know humans are flawed and broken and we all mess up and a lot of vicars do terrible, terrible things, but also like just naff things as well. So, like, um, so a lot of vicars wear it so that when they walk around the streets, people go, oh, there's a vicar, I'm going to go and chat to them. I didn't grow up going to church. I saw a lot of people wearing dog collars, um, like people coming to our school, and n- nothing about the dog collar said to me as a kid who didn't go to church, oh, that person's approachable. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I only wear dog collars when for two reasons. One, if I feel inadequate. So, for example, sometimes as a vicar, you're asked to do things that are pretty sad, like go and visit people whose children are dying, go and visit people who are dying themselves or go and represent the church in, in some way in in and, and if I feel inadequate I put it on a bit like I don't know when people wear a suit to a job interview like it, it makes them feel like they are kind of makes them feel like they're ready for the job and so when I put on the dog collar it kind of it make, helps me to feel that people are seeing the the office of the vicar not the person Alex in those moments, and I could just go, and I feel like, okay, it's not about me. And the second reason why I use it is if it's missionally helpful. So if, like, um, I, on a Saturday, if I'm going to, like, I don't know, uh, sometimes I'm going to, like, B&Q, I'll stick it on, just to see what conversations come up. See if I give you a discount. (laughs) Not to see if I get a discount, that would be wrong, Uh, but if, uh, no, it would be wrong. Um, but yeah, but a lot of the time I'm quite happy talking to people about Jesus um, and I don't find that I need to put that on to, to stem, to like flow, to receive a load of conversation. I feel like I, I'm someone who can chat quite easily with people. And the minute I say to people, oh, what do you do? And then they say, oh, I work at Morrison's. What do you do? I'm like, I'm, I'm a vicar. Immediately I feel like we're on to something. Um, for some people, they find it, oh, it's just an easier way to talk about Jesus or to talk about the job. I, I don't necessarily find that, that hard. I think the minute I start looking like a vicar, I'll probably wear it. And by that, I mean, like, when I get a bit older mm. and I wear cardigans for fun. I've seen you wearing a cardigan. Yeah. Is it for fun, though? <laughs> I don't know. It's hard uh, to tell why people do these things. At least wear mandigans. I did go for a mandigan phase. 
Why is it called a mandigan? Well, it's it's not like usually men. they're worn by cars. Yeah, but there's cardigans and there's mandigans. And mandigans are like tight-fitted, like... <laughs> I don't know, I'm just making really it up. Cool. Cardamon? Cardamums. Uh, Cardamon pods. Uh, right. Uh, why, though, sometimes uh, yeah. we show like different amounts of white, don't Oh, come on. White, don't they? We're now getting into like why, deep nerdy. Why is that? Why yeah. Is, like a little sliver of white at the top. Yeah. Or Sometimes a full neck. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Or like the preacher in that Amazon show. He's got a full... Yeah, they're all different theological claims. So the different collars represent a different tradition. So people down the more Catholic or traditional end might wear a different collar. People down the reformed end of the Church of England would wear a different collar. Um, Trendy new vicars wouldn't wear one at all. They'd just wear... A, a nice crew shirt instead. Um, you know, like, yeah. It's just, it just shows different theological stances. Cool. So that if you're at like a gathering of clergy, a gathering of vicars, you can spot yeah. them and be like, ah, oh, he's Trump's. one of those. Yeah, he's one of those kind of vicars. Though. Yeah. And he's got prayer beads. And prayer, oh, of course, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, you can look them up. Don't. Yeah, feel free. I'm not going to waste time asking you about this. Um, next question. This is interesting because it goes, do Christians, so it's not quite about vicars anymore. But no, great. Do Christians think they're better than everyone else? Um, as a, I'll take this one as a Christian. No one has a lower opinion of me than me. <laughs> um, <laughs> seriously. Um, yeah. Don't, don't worry that I'm big-headed. No, I don't, like, uh, the thing serious. is... And and this is this is I'm sure we're going to say this many a time if if this episode goes well and you want to do more, um, like we can't possibly just between the two of us answer questions on behalf of every Christian in the world because Christians I can, <laughs> you, um, but it won't be accurate. And I, and I will. It's going to be right. Um, the thing about Christians is that like a spectrum, and Christians are like humans, right? So like, come in different shapes and sizes, like different humans. beliefs, um, <laughs> like humans, nearly humans. Um, but you know that as varied as a hum- as humanity is, and so, like, and so some Christians do strange things, and some Christians might give you certain um, opinions that might lead you to believe that they might feel they're better than themselves. The Gospels, which by when I refer to like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, um, do all they can to remind us that Jesus came for people who were broken. Jesus didn't come for people who felt they were sorted, or he didn't. His whole thing wasn't let's round up a group of people who are perfect and then throw them at the world. That's the super awesome club. That's the super awesome club. club. I'm not a member of that. Not the Jesus Um, club. And um, you know, Saint Paul, who wrote quite a lot of the um, New Testament, he at one point calls himself scum of the earth. He says, "I am scum of the earth." The Greek word is huperates, which like um, which. Are the people beneath, like the galley of a deck, who would be just the oars people? Like I'm the, the lowest of the low in in a kind of a ship setting. But he called himself. But it's translated in our Bible as a scum of the earth. Um, that's not someone who feels he's better than other people. And the whole point, Jesus said, I came to serve and not be served. And so we should, as Christians, be taking the lowest position all the time to serve others. And so if ever you feel that you've been dealt with by a Christian and you've been left with a feeling that oh that person thinks they're better than me it's either a miscommunication or they're misinformed <laughs> as to what the gospel is um, yeah nice 
Yeah, that covers it, I think. Um, moving on. But I'm better than you at some things. I'm not saying, like, nothing. Not table tennis. That's not true, James <laughs> Crawley. Uh, who's the most recent winner? It's me. Um, <laughs> I have to keep in school, but... Anyway, a weird flex <laughs> over table tennis, which I'm pretty... Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm every time we've played. No, I beat you. Um, no, I don't think that's true. I definitely beat you. Um, I think I'll remember it. Um, <laughs> before this turns into a different podcast and we just play table tennis. Um, like a spin-off. Does, yeah. Uh, does God speak to you? Um, does God speak to you? you so you ended that question as if you are going well, to Well, there's more. There's more, to, there's more to come. Does God speak to you? I, I think that God communicates to um, all people through many different ways. How? Great. Um, I would say four main ways. There, there are lots of other ways. God is, God, uh, if, if we believe the God of the Bible is who he says he is, then he knows us intimately, so he'll speak to us intimately. And, but I think there's four kind of more main kind of categories of communication, if you will. One would be through the Bible. So as you read the Bible, stuff jumps out to you today. In 2020, um, you might be reading something that was written over 6,000 years ago, and suddenly it'll be like, oh, wow, that speaks to me today. Mm. Um, that's one way. Scum of the earth. <laughs> yes, that's, scum that's of the earth. That's my relatable that, content. Yeah, there we go. Um, another way would be um, uh, through the church. So, and by that I mean um, global church uh, hit throughout history, um, the ways the church has kind of spoken, and that would be like through theologians, that again, who have been studying God and studying philosophy and all that kind of thing. Um, that would be a way that I think God communicates to his people. Um, through the poor. Um, Jesus says um, uh, that, um, that what you do for the, le- the least of your brothers and sisters, you do also for me. And so I think there's a real special thing that we learn about the nature of God when we work with those who are um, on the margins of society, whether financially, materially, um, uh, psychologically, sociologically, those who uh, are poor in any way, I think when we serve and love those, we learn a lot about God and, we, and God communicates to us through those people. I, just really quickly, remember when I was in Calais, I went over to the um, refugee camp in Calais a little while ago, about three, four years ago, when it first kind of popped up. And I met a little lad called David, who was from Iran, and he was a Christian, and he had been walking for about nine years from his country. And I remember him saying to me, um, I said, what can we learn about Jesus through what you've done? Something like that. And he said, in like American English, he said, uh, I, le- I, s- I became more like Jesus when I started this journey because Jesus never had a place to rest his head. And I just kind of was kind of bowled over by that and was thinking, wow, this is someone who is, has been walking away from a war-torn country and has taught me about the nature of God. And he doesn't have the degrees, doesn't have the age or anything like that. Um, and actually, I learned a lot. Um, and that stuck with me. Um, and the fourth way, I would say, is by the Holy Spirit. And... Um, and that might be, you know, you're walking through nature and suddenly you're just overwhelmed with a sense of wonder. Or it might be you're listening to a great piece of music and suddenly something within you stirs. It might be when you're watching a film and you don't know why, but you cry. And it's not just because it's Ryan Gosling and he's looking beautiful. But there's something about a scene that, that triggers something in you that is deeper. And it might be you look at a piece of art or something like that. Um, or, you know, you're just walking 
down the street in the middle of the day and suddenly some memory comes to the forefront of your mind, you don't know what prompted that, but for whatever reason it's spoken to you on a deep level. Um, I'd say that's how the Holy Spirit communicates with people. Um, and I don't think you have to be a Christian to hear God speak to you. I don't think you have to um, be a full card-carrying member of the Jesus Club. I don't think you graduate into hearing God speak. I think God is our Father who wants to speak to his children, and so he's going to do that in as many ways as possible. Um, how do you know it's God and not someone else? Um, I think my, my old boss, an amazing man, uh, he used this analogy of like phone call. So when my wife, when we first started dating, there might have been times she called me up and um, I picked up the phone and I didn't know who it was. It could be my mum, my sister, my auntie, or someone on telesales, or Laura. Um, but now, when she calls, apart from it saying her name on my phone, but... I just recognise her voice automatically. And, um, and there's something about, like, the more you listen or the more you make, like, make room for God to speak to you, the more you um, identify with who it is that you're, or what, what it is you're, you're hearing. So, um, and I would always say that nothing that you hear or nothing that you feel, if it's from God, it will always sound like Jesus of the Bible. So if, you know... <laughs> If he's suddenly going, oh, you need to go and get a massive job and become a billionaire. It, it might not necessarily be. Um, Whose voice was that? That was uh, like uh, an English Joe Pesci. <laughs> um, you know, or, you know, it's going like, you should probably punch that person in the face. That's probably not God. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think the more you leave room for asking God to speak to you, whether it's you say a prayer just at the beginning of the day, God, will you speak to me today? Or whether, um, yeah, the more you do that, the more you recognise his voice and and the more you realise, oh, when, when I'm walking down that road and those kind of thoughts come to my mind, that sounds more like Jesus of the Bible and it's helping me to become more like Jesus um, and uh, and treat others with a love that looks like Jesus. Um, I think that's how. I might be wrong there. Could be someone doing an impression of God. Like Morgan Freeman? Yeah. Is that, if you heard, who would be, who if you be heard Morgan Freeman's voice in your head, yeah, you'd go. Oh, that's God. That's not Morgan Freeman. Who would be your voice? Who would be the voice of God in your head? Um, if you could cast the voice, Joe of God. Pasquale. <laughs> <laughs> Just for, I mean, it'd be funny for like a day. Maybe. A day? Could you hold a day? <laughs> be funny for Twice, like twenty I've minutes. I've been in the audience for Joe Pasquale show. Twice. Yeah. Well, yeah. I used to subscribe to these like audience fun. support things, support things, and twice I got a place at a secret show. Nice. And both times it was Joe Pasquale doing a pilot of a show that never got aired. Yeah. Twice. That's not not pilots that never get aired before, <laughs> before we're ahead of ourselves. Uh, uh, moving on, a couple more questions today. Right. Is the devil real? Sorry, you always ask a question as if there's a subpart. Well, I might, I might okay. carry um, on from. Yeah, I mean, have you seen. That's where this person leaves off. Great. Um, but someone else's. But there's a okay, bit great, more great. that could. Um, I mean, the thing is, is, is it the usual suspects that says the greatest trick the devil ever played? It's convincing the world it didn't exist. Convincing the world it didn't exist. Yeah, and I think if we want to lay claim to there being a source of eternal good, um, there makes it makes sense that um, that there is a reason behind some of the evils of the world. 
and some of the, especially some of the more sinister and um, and uh, nefarious evils of the world that even reasonable logic doesn't account for. Um, and so, I personally believe the devil exists. Now, I wouldn't say it's like you know looking like the Man United logo with a you know, red and pitchfork and all that stuff. I reckon it probably is. But St. Paul talks about... Um, no, no, you co- think it is? no coincidence. Is it? Okay. <laughs> um, but St. Paul talks about a um, like the powers and authorities, um, like there are principalities and powers and authorities that, um, that are not for good, that are not agents of good. And so the devil has been what the church historically has kind of pinned as like an umbrella term for forces of evil. And I would say when people do things that are um, unjustifiably evil, that have no logic or reason or account for, um, I would say that is probably the work of some agent of evil. Um, and and as Christians, we're caught in this eternal um, Lord of the Rings-like battle to see that come to an end. And the Bible describes that as um, Jesus having victory. Um, now, what that looks like in person or on the day to day is, uh, you know, we we pray in the Lord's Prayer that um, that um, that we don't encounter this kind of evil, and so and it's not something I think about all the time. It's not something I I don't I don't try and give it too much stage time or head or headspace, um, but it does. Um, I feel if we're saying that there is an eternal source of good, and that good is logic in all its form, then the absence of logic, or chaos, may um, also have an agent, and that agent may be personified as the devil, potentially. Moving on to the next question, which I'll give no pretext to. I'll just read the question as it is. Why did God create the devil if he was just going to mess stuff up? I mean, the same. I think exactly the same reason why he creates humans, even though we're going to mess stuff up. So I think the reason God creates um, is we believe as Christians in the Trinity, so Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's what we call God, um, three persons, but with one identity, that um, identity being God. And, um, and what you do, and we see this on a minute-by-minute minute basis in the world, is when people love each other, they want to create another. We call that baby making. Um, when you, when you're, whether you've been dating or been partners or married for a certain amount of time, you say we've got so much love between us, we need to share this with another. And that's exactly what's happened with God. He, like Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's so much love that like we've got to, um, we've got to create another to share this love with. Now, love, as you know, has to have free will and agency for it to be love. Otherwise, it's forced, and that is not love. And so um, God creates, and he doesn't create both nature and humanity with with an obligation to love back. He just creates, and then hopes and dreams, like a father to their children or a mother to their children, hopes and dreams that one day that love will be returned. But you don't create children so that you receive love. You create children because you love, and so you create. And so God creates, and whether that be the angelic realm, and um, in Christian history we've described the devil as an angel that was created and then fell. Um, And so 
we create and even as humans we mess up but also we create and the humans that we create the children that we have may also mess up but what's our response going to be and what is our response to that brokenness going to be and that's the kind of the human dilemma isn't it is like when how much is too much when someone messes up and um, you know if your children run away or if they hurt you in some way how much is too much are you going to keep on loving and keep on loving and I think that's the eternal dilemma so devil is a fallen angel potentially yeah. potentially still still roaming around maybe yeah yeah spooky isn't it? it is a bit it is a bit but also Do you like, reckon? they're not equal counterparts so it's not we're not yeah. talking like Gandalf and Sauron um, although Sauron had an Achilles heel didn't he like we're, we're not talking I don't know we're not talking M- Mario and Bowser when they're not equal counterparts God created um, potentially as the church has believed for, for centuries that God created an angel that angel fell so even though it's powerful it's not all powerful even though it's knowledgeable it's not all knowledgeable even though it's present it's not omnipresent so like it, there are limits still spooky though isn't it? It's, it's somewhere Somewhere. Like, lurking. Yeah. Um, do you reckon there's any... This is my question now. Um, Go on. Do you reckon there's any way of a comeback for the devil? Like, um, if like he, a new album? Not... Um, I mean, like, forgiveness. Do you reckon he can... Do you reckon he can get back to being an angel? Yeah, man. Like... Yeah. I mean, the thing... It, devil, we, if you're listening. What we get in... If you're listening, in, please. In the, in the book of Revelation, which is where most of our kind of... Uh, quite a lot of our theology around uh, the devil comes from it, it is a prophetic telling which is a type of scripture that isn't meant to be read in the same way that a historical book might be or even the gospels as an account for someone's life it's prophetic um, forecast of what might happen which means there's loads of imagery, loads of poetry in there there's loads of pictures mm. and all sorts um, and so um, well, who knows but all we know is that Evil itself will be vanquished, Whoa. which means that when you're suffering, when you're hurting, that one day that pain will be no more. The Book of Revelation says that all tears be wiped away, and so that's what we can guarantee. Now, who knows? You might, you know, we love a comeback story, don't we? Yeah. We'll get on to questions about the Bible next time. Tune back in, guys, to conversations with a vicar. Today, we've learned about etymology, collars. Uh, how to get into the Jesus Club, that the best tea is Yorkshire gold, and that if you want to hear the Word of God, you need to experience the Bible, church, the poor, the Holy Spirit, all that side of fifth, podcasting. Thanks for listening, guys, um, to the pilot episode of Conversations with a Vicar. Thank you, Alex. Thank you very much. Um, and see you again. Bye. Bye.